What a joy to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. It's been awesome this morning from the fellowship, the camaraderie, and the cafe, and uh, just true. It feels like family. Speaking of family, some of you got to spend some time with family over the past week. Some of our people still doing that and, and, and finishing up the last day of their spring break, and so it's always a joy and uh, to be with family, be with one another, and to be with faith family. Last series, we actually talked about that, that God ordained two institutions. The first was the family. And the second was a faith family, and that's what's been so sweet and special, even after coming out of that series to me, is to come in today together, see what God is doing, fellowship with one another, be encouraged in what uh, the Lord is doing, and then to go into the springtime. How many of you, spring is your favorite time of the year of all the seasons? Spring is your favorite, all right? So a lot of y'all, a lot of y'all uh, spring greeners, some of y'all probably are crazy enough that you like cutting your grass. How many like cutting your grass? You enjoy that. Okay, guys, I live at 87 Lee Circle, and it needs it right now, okay? So I need to spray and kill some of those weeds, and then I'll get y'all ready to cut it. But anyway, it's always good, and uh, spring reminds us of, uh, of a time of spiritual growth that is to be in our life. And so I love this time of year. Uh, love going into the time of year of Easter. feels like Easter's slipping up on us quick, though, this year. I don't know if it feels that way for you, but it does for me. Uh, but always excited, and as it's already been said, encouraged, start to, start to pray, start to invite. I'm telling you, there are people who just want an invite. There are people who just want an invite, so stop listening to the devil uh, that, that, that your neighbors that uh, are cutting the grass right now, uh, that don't ever go to church, that they don't really care about going to church because they just care if you care enough about them to invite them. And so me plus three, uh, we want you to own that. Uh, you've already heard about it in the announcements in the videos, me plus three. That means make a commitment to have yourself here, but be over the next couple of weeks inviting and saying, who can I invite, who can I extend an invitation to? And, uh, and begin to do that and invite people in. And then also, do not forget, very important, we are voting today as a church, as a faith family, on our New Year budget. And so if you will make sure you cast your vote. It is important that you cast this vote, okay? Uh, and uh, as a member, if you are a member, cast that vote uh, on the New Year budget, and uh, we would appreciate that. We'll t take all those in and give an update on how that goes. Well, our new series that we're kicking off this morning, I'm very excited about. It's moving us into Easter and even beyond Easter that we'll be talking about uh, the Holy Spirit laid on my heart. Um, this uh, whole concept and the series is titled after that, The Stone, The Stone. And even as God began to lay that in my heart, I began to do a little research. And uh, I didn't realize, but at one point in history, uh, that's how Jesus was referred to. We know we refer to him, uh, and we know our adopted city in West Africa uh, that we've adopted there that was an unreached, unengaged people group for our guests. We adopted an unreached, unengaged people group. What that means is they never heard the gospel. They never heard any Bible teaching. And so, uh, but they had heard about Jesus uh, and that the Torah pointed to him. They just never heard any of the gospel stories. They'd never heard. They just thought he was a man, uh, as Islam teaches. Uh, and they've had that in their region for 1,500 years or so. And then finally we got the gospel to them. And, uh, but they had heard of Jesus. They referred to him as the way. And so Jesus has been referred to the way. He referred to himself that, the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6, where he said, no man cometh to the Father but through me. But also in history, he was referred to as the stone. Uh, and I like, I like that title, The Stone, and that's what we're talking about uh, in this series. And so Mark chapter 12 is where we're going to be today. If you'll turn there in God's Word with me to Mark chapter 12. And we're just going to dive in and begin to build this concept uh, of what Scripture teaches about who Jesus is as the stone. Uh, and we're going to be looking this morning at the rejected stone. He was the rejected stone, and 
Uh, Pastor Rich kind of prayed that or said that in the last part of his prayer. Uh, and so the takeaway this morning is we think about Jesus the stone and we look at him as being the rejected stone. The takeaway is this, do not reject the stone of God that leads you to the throne of God, okay? Now that's a very simple takeaway that you can get down and process in your mind, in your heart, in your spirit, but then let the Holy Spirit do something with it. So do not reject the stone of God that leads you to the throne of God. And in this passage, Jesus explained how he was rejected by many as the author of salvation. He gives us this parable that we see, and also everyone will give an account. In this parable that we see, every person is going to give an account for what they do with Jesus. And that's very important. That's why our message, it doesn't change in its foundation. That's why our heartbeat, that's why uh, our vision literally is to help people find direction in life through the cross of Jesus Christ, because he is the only direction. And people are still searching. In fact, there are more people searching today to fill that empty void inside of them than any other time. And so the enemy knows that if he can keep the church isolated inside the four walls, if he can keep the church uh, divided, if he can keep the church from coming together as true family like we have in here this morning in sense, uh, and trusting God and praying for God and keeping the main thing the main thing, then he's going to do everything he can to do that. But we're not going to let him do it. Amen, church? We're not going to let him do it. We're going to say, God, and that's what the Spirit of God is doing in, in the life and wanting to do in the life of our church, is take us deeper, take us deeper so he can take us broader, so he can have us so zoned in that we are the ones rejoicing when we see the eastern sky split open. We are the ones that rejoice when we think about Gabriel sounding his trumpet and God looking over to the sun and saying, son, go get your bride. It's been a long time. I know you've been waiting. Go get your bride, and it's going to be an awesome, wonderful time. And then we will be escorted in, when Jesus comes back to receive us, we will be escorted in to the presence of God, the throne of God, and God as he is his spirit. And so God's throne is a place of majesty and honor. The Bible says that when Jesus ascended to heaven, that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There is no higher place than heaven, we know that. We know that God is the king of heaven, and Jesus holds the place of honor at God's right hand. And so when we talk about don't reject the stone of God that leads you to the throne of God, the only way, the only way, and Jesus declared it himself, the only way that you get to God and the throne of God is through the Son of God. Amen? Whew, that's a beautiful, that's, that's the gospel. The gospel is not complicated. What complicates it is man in his prideful, sinful heart. Where we get our lives messed up and get our lives complicated is when we begin to build in our reasoning, our thinking, when we begin to try to build our lives apart from God leading our lives and building our lives on him as the stone. Uh, Jesus also gave another parable that the wise man built his house upon the what? The, the stone, the rock. And, and, and that, that man, when the rains came and the floods came, his house stood firm. But the foolish man, well, he built his house up on the sand, on his own reasoning, on Oprah's reasoning, on uh, Dr. Phil's total reasoning, on whoever's reasoning, right? And he didn't build it up on the Word of God. And when the rains came, when the, when, when the temptation came, when the warfare came, his house didn't stand. It had cracks in it. And so God's throne is a place of majesty and honor. Now, we find our text. Here's what's going on in our text today. Jesus enters the city on a Monday. And if you remember on that Monday, the people were waving palm branches, you know, crying out, Hosanna. Hosanna, waving palm branches. Now, our text today finds us the Wednesday of that week. It's Wednesday of Passion Week. And uh, as we talk about this concept this morning of Jesus. Now, as we talk about the stone, the stone the builders rejected became the cornerstone. 
That's the theme of today's messages, and that comes from Psalm 118.22 is where it's referenced in the Old Testament. The image comes from the ancient uh, quarries which highly trained stonemasons would carefully gather and choose the right stones in use in their construction. And no stone, of all the stones out there, no stone was more important uh, than the cornerstone because what they would do with the cornerstone, uh, they would take the cornerstone and everything else in the building would be built off of the cornerstone. And so if you didn't carefully choose the right stone to build the rest of the building, guess what would happen with the rest of the building? The rest of the building would be jacked up. It would have flaws. It would have cracks. Think about that spiritually. The same is true for us. If we try to live our life and build our life without building it on Jesus, without every day starting our day prioritizing Jesus, just talking to him, it'll be five minutes, 10 minutes, 15, but, but we have to stay focused. And so if we, part of us choosing to build our life up on Jesus every day is what Paul said, every day I have to get up, deny myself. I have to crucify my flesh because my flesh is bent towards self-gratification. My flesh is bent, towards, uh, is bent towards sin and selfishness in general. So I have to get up every day. Well, that's how we do every day. We continue to build our lives up on the cornerstone. But if we don't, oh, there will be cracks in our foundation. There will be cracks in our lives spiritually. So those stonemasons would, would, would take that and they'd say, We've got, if we're going to build the right uh, building, if we're going to build something that will stand, the test time that will stand winds, that will stand, everything's going to come against it. We've got to choose the right stone. And that's what we're talking about when we say uh, Jesus as the cornerstone. So builders inspected many stones, and they would reject each one until they found the one that they wanted. Now, in our passage today, here's what happens. Jesus gives this parable to where God comes to Israel. He comes to the Jewish people, and he has his plan. He's already got a plan that he has the perfect stone to build their life upon to build the Jewish people, to build Israelites upon. And guess what Israel said to God's plan and the stone that he had to offer? They didn't want his stone. See, they couldn't see, they couldn't see the beauty in God's stone. They couldn't see the blessing in God's stone. You know why? Because they were seeking to build their lives on their own. They were seeking to build it on their own stone. There was selfishness in them, even in the opposition that was against them, and they were under Roman opposition. Do you see this? The Jews were in a bad place under Roman opposition because they were being mistreated uh, by the Romans many times, and they were sick and tired of it. But And you say, well, gosh, no wonder. No wonder they would be sick. Yeah, they've got a right to be sick and tired. But in being sick and tired of it, they took matters into their own hands rather than waiting on God's plan, and that's the mistake they made. Now, how many of you, when you live your life, there's times you just say, I'm just kind of sick and tired of all this. Anybody else besides me and my, you know? Yeah. I'm just sick and tired of all this. I'm sick and tired. I'm sick and tired. And I'm going to do that. Well, that's where we've got to be careful. That's where we've got to wait on God and say, God, now you're sovereign. You've got a plan for this. You've got a plan. If you save the children of Israel through one lady, Esther, God, you've got a plan for my life. God, I don't understand it. God, it's weighty. God, it's heavy. But, but, but thank you that I know that no matter how low I seem to be or how low I get to get to in my life, I know I'm building up on Jesus Christ in my life. I know he's got me. I know I'm saved. So uh, Mark chapter 12, look at there with me if you will. We're going to break these down verse by verse uh, in this parable and, and read the text and tell you what's going on here. 
uh, and ask God to speak to us. Let me, let me pray that God the Spirit would do that. Father, thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Thank you, God, that your Holy Spirit is in me and every believer, God, who has a relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord, your Spirit is inside of us. Our spirit bears witness with one another. Now, God, we have already, Father, praised you. You have inhabited the praises of your people this morning, God. Lord, uh, thank you uh, for the faithfulness, Lord, of, of Rich and our band, Lord, our worship team leading us. Lord, to where we can receive this word, Father, Lord. So, God, we ask that you speak to us. You make us stronger, God, as believers and disciples of you, Father God, Lord. And you make us different on purpose, Father, uh, so that the world can be changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can be your hands and feet and salt and light. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said? All right, amen. The parable of the tenants, and we see in Mark chapter 12, as he began to speak to them in parables, and then you see the red letter writing uh, in your Bible where Jesus is speaking, when you see the red letters, a man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for a wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country, the word of God says. In verse 2, when the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from, the sum, uh, to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. Now, I want to tell you what's happening before we get into the rest of this text. Jesus addressed this parable to all the people present. Luke gives account of this in Luke 20 and verse 9, but he's addressing it particularly to a certain group within the whole group. So it, it, it would be like if I kind of singled some of you out here. It would be like when I single the students out over here in part of my sermon, and I go, all right, now, students, and I speak to them. That's kind of what Jesus was doing in this context, because the Israel, the leaders of Israel were in this context. And so when Jesus was bringing this whole parable to be, and you could, he could start to see the light turn on in some of them when they were getting it. But you see, when, when, when the gospel's being proclaimed, or God is speaking, or Jesus is giving a parable, sometimes there's a light that goes on, and it's a good response. But then sometimes when the light comes on, you just see it on a person's countenance and their face. You see a rejection of that, of that truth. You know, truth hurts, doesn't it? <laughs> truth sometimes hurts when, we, when we're out of alignment and we don't want to follow God or do what God wants us to do. And so Jesus has them uh, here, and they're listening to him, and so he's particularly addressing the religious leaders. The man in this parable represents God. The vineyard represents Israel. And the tenants, the vine growers, are these leaders that Jesus is addressing. So he's bringing this parable all together. And the first response that we see, there are several responses in this parable I want to give you. The first response we see, God's response to Israel and her leaders. God responds to Israel and her leaders and what he did as the owner of the vineyard and what he was trying to make possible for them if they would just receive it and the blessing with it, but instead they rejected it. So that's what happens. A man, God, planted a vineyard, Israel, and he put a fence around it and dug it for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants. And there we see the leaders of Israel, uh, and he went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from the, uh, them some of the fruit of the vineyard. Now remember, God's the owner. God's the owner. We, we don't own anything. God's the owner. We're just managers. So God being the creator, the sustainer, and the owner, he takes this, he plants this vineyard, he puts Israel right where he wants Israel to be, <laughs> which interestingly is still there and still protected, Amen. Because God's sovereign, and it always will be because it's part of God's plan, no matter who comes against it. And they will face hardship, but it's all driving them to Jesus. <laughs> Think about that. We face hardship spiritually, but it's all meant to drive us to Jesus. If it doesn't drive us to Jesus, then we've chosen to reject God's plan. 
for our life. So we've got to let it all drive us to Israel. It makes us stronger, makes us better, not bitter, if we allow it. So God's response to Israel and his leaders, I've got you. I'm a sovereign God. I've got a great plan. Here's how it's going to happen, and here's what I'm going to do for you as my children. And every time, when God started that plan all the way back in the garden, even though man messed up that plan, and then when God called Abram and changed his name to Abraham, he gave him a promise. It was a covenant promise. And he said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your offspring. I'm going to give you a child when you can't even think you can have a child at 100 years old. I'm going to give you a child. And Sarah at 90 laughed. But you remember what also Sarah and Abraham did? They took matters into their own hands to try to fulfill God's plan and God's promise. That's where we mess up by not waiting on God. Good things come to those who wait on the Lord. I have a hard time waiting. How many of you are like me? You're like a little girl who prayed, God, I need patience and I need it right now. That's kind of how my life works, right? And your life too. And so they kind of got in there and tried to fast forward the plan. That's where it got messed up. That's where Ishmael came in through, uh, through Hagar. And that's where we have this division going on today that's even impacting our own country. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great device, a great division. And so when you reject God's plan, then you're going to pay the consequences of that. And so we see how that happens. But God responds to, responds to Israel and his leaders. I'm sovereign. I've got a plan. The second response we see is Israel and her leaders' response to God's servants and prophets. That's what this passage lays out. So look with me, if you will, at verses 3 through 5. He says here, and they took, they took him. Remember, he sends this servant. To, to say, bring me back some fruit of the vineyard. Bring, I'm the owner. I'm sending you and delegating that out. Now bring me back fruit from my vineyard. Bring me back fruit from my vineyard. So they took him. They took him, the vine dressers, the, the, the Jewish leaders. You'll see all this come together, and they're seeing this as they're hearing it. You're going to see it quicker because we know what has happened. This is as it's happening, and Jesus is pointing forward in this parable to what they're going to do what they're currently doing. It's all building and leading to the cross. And so he says, he says they took him, the servant, and they beat him and sent him away, away empty-handed. And he, again, he sent them to another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed, and with so many others, some they beat and some they killed. The response here that we see in this passage is Israel and her leaders' response to God's servants and prophets. They mistreated them. They didn't want to fall in alignment. They did not build their lives off the cornerstone, all showing that they rejected him. That's what this passage is building to. So the leaders of Israel hate Jesus at this moment. <laughs> Even as he's teaching them this parable, the, the hate in them is growing. The bitterness in them is growing. You know why it's growing? Because, number one, they're selfish, they're prideful. You've got to remember, they did not, even the Jewish leaders under Roman opposition did not want the king that God sent. They selfishly wanted to be dominant. They wanted to be the ones mistreating the Romans and be in authority, and the mistreatment of anybody is not in the heart of God. And so God came and sent his king riding humbly in on a donkey they're seeing all this, and the reason the Jewish leaders couldn't seize him right then, and you'll see this text points this out, is, is because he had this following that was following him. And they were hearing some, some movies depict this. My wife and daughter and I, we watched a movie the other day that was depicting all of this going on and how that literally, uh, even as the, the leaders were becoming enraged with anger, the people were seeing the message behind the messenger and they were being drawn to it because the message of love, grace, and forgiveness is contagious. 
to hurting people. The message is more powerful than being selfish or getting even with someone. There's a beautiful message in grace. Have you ever noticed that? There's a beautiful message in grace. And so the people, there's this following. So the Jewish Israels, they're, they're, they're hating this. <laughs> now, this wasn't all new in the mind of Jesus or the prophets because in Isaiah, I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. These verses prove that God had already intended to do this. Let me sing for my beloved my song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hoed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And so he's pointing back to Isaiah to this same parable that Jesus is quoting where God planted Israel. He looked for righteousness, but in Israel he found distress. He looked for trust in Israel, but in it he found that they were untrustworthy. We see many woes in that whole chapter because Israel was unfaithful to God. Therefore, guess who God is? God is a just God, so God judged Israel. God has to judge them. Even as Jesus is giving this parable, there's a form of judgment going on. So when these verses say that, that God, the owner, this man that planted a vineyard being God, sent his servant and then his other servant and then his other servant, it's, it's basically saying that God, in his word, in the Old Testament, in the Torah, all the way through the Old Testament, pointing up, even going into the New Testament after 400 years of silence, with John the Baptist, God was sending his word. And so when this passage says that they attacked this first servant, they attacked this servant, they attacked this servant, what Jesus is saying is he's telling them what they've done for the most part. And when you look at Scripture, you see that, um, that it shows that Jeremiah was treated wrongly, it shows that uh, 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 Isaiah was treated wrongly. Justin Martyr even say, accessing, saying that the Jews sawed Isaiah in half. Isaiah was treated horribly. John the Baptist, if you remember, who was the forerunner of Jesus, he was beheaded. And Jesus is saying, you, you, your fathers, you. This has been sent. You see, a lot of times what we want to do and what these leaders probably could have done is saying, well, I wasn't actually here when Jeremiah was living, so you can't pin that on me. Yeah, I can pin this on you because you know it's true in your heart and you're continuing to treat the prophets of God this way. And you're not falling in line. You're not building your life on the cornerstone. You keep rejecting my plan. So there was a uniform hospitality against God's anointed prophets. Hebrews 11.37 speaks about this. It says they were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. So Jesus is reminding them in this parable, saying, um, let me give you this parable. <laughs> let me give you this parable of what's really went on, what's going on, what's going on, and what's going to happen. So the third response we see is Israel and her leader's response to God's son. Look at verse 6 through verse 8. We saw how they treated his prophets. Now we're going to look at how they treat his son. He had still one other, a beloved son, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But he sent his beloved son, and finally he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. After all, it's, it's my vineyard. I'm the owner. And they might have a little bit of selfish and pride in them, but they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and then the inheritance will be ours. The inheritance will be ours. 
I want, I want you to pause for a moment and think about this battle, this selfish fight and battle that is going on, that all centers around the geographical location of Israel, that all centers around God's, God's wife, literally the Old Testament talks about Israel being God's wife, where's bride, New Testament speaking, and it gives room to that, and how he's grafted us all into the olive tree and grace and extended gospel that Paul's ministry was about to the Gentiles. But all of this still goes back and centers, and all of a sudden in this, you see this battle of selfishness going on to who's going to be the owner? Who's going to own Israel? Is that not what you see? You see Orthodox Jews who still say, we're going to own Israel. We don't even believe the Messiah's come. We don't even agree with the Messianic Jews that say the Messiah's come. We own Israel. And then you see, right, all those who want the land of Israel. We see all the, um, the terrorists who want the land of Israel, the Palestinians who want the land of Israel, who say it's ours, we're going to take it. All of this, a selfish desire to try to claim what is only one man. And that's the Son of God. And he says, I, it's mine. God says, I'm the owner. God says, I'm the owner. I've graciously, I've graciously offered everything to you, but you're rejecting me. You're rejecting those who came to tell you and remind you, I was the owner. Stop trying to be, do it your own way. Stop being selfish. Stop being greedy. Stop rejecting my son. Learn that true power comes from serving one another, from the washing of feet, as we'll see next week and be here. Don't miss next week on the stone as we look at that passage of what that means to, to, to show honor where honor's due and wash the feet of Jesus and, and all. But God says, and Jesus says, and reminds them in this parable, is you killed the son. Now remember, this part in verse 6 through 8 had not happened yet. So the very person telling them that this is what they're going to do is the very person that they're going to do it to that's telling them they're going to do it. And it's all building up inside them. The hate is building up inside them. Now, do you think Jesus was surprised that he would be rejected? Do you think Jesus was really surprised that death was at the door? No. Because his whole ministry, what was he saying? Even when he had healed people and sometimes tell, hey, now, now go, you know, don't, don't say anything. Or he tells the disciples, my time is what? My time has not yet come. He knew all this was building this direction. He wasn't surprised by his rejection. He knew that in two days he would be up on a cross. Matthew 26, 54 shows where Jesus rebukes Peter in the garden, knowing it was time for his arrest to take place. Remember when Peter cuts off the ear of Malchus, he says, put the sword away. Luke records 22, verse 35 through uh, verse 35. Jesus speaks of being counted among the criminals. Hasn't even happened yet. But he's saying he's going to be counted among the criminals, and was he not? He stood on a cross, and on each side was a criminal. Thank God one of them <laughs> was a saved criminal. Isn't that amazing? Jesus, on his, Jesus, right before he died, was still doing what he came to do, and that was saving sinners. The devil thinks he's got him, going to get him. In John 19, 11, what, what, let me stop. Let me go back. Let me go back to this. On the moment of the cross, when we see everything that took place that looked like so much doom and gloom, that looked like so much defeat, that Satan so much wanted people to believe that he had Jesus bound and that he had him down. Can I tell you what heaven was doing? As the thunders rolled, as the earthquake came, as the earth shook, as man was in fear and man was in fright, and you know what heaven was doing? I want you to think about this. 
eat. At the moment Jesus was going through all of that, heaven was throwing a party. How many of you, the devil tries to rain on your parade when you live for Jesus? <laughs> Woo, yeah, when you live for Jesus, it gets tough, doesn't it? Oh, it ain't worth it. It ain't worth it. It ain't worth fighting for your marriage, he'll say. It ain't worth getting up and going to church when you can sleep in or get up and go do something else on a beautiful day. It ain't worth it. He'll try to rain on your parade. And when the enemy thought he was bringing all of this, just like the passion the movie depicts, that he was bringing all this on Jesus and against Jesus. Jesus wasn't rattled. Jesus wasn't shaken by it all. Jesus knew it was his lot. He knew it's what the Father called for. Yes, he endured the pain. Yes, he prayed for another way if there was. But he said, not my will, but thy will be done. And when Satan tried to rain on the parade, Heaven was throwing a party because that criminal got saved, and the only reason heaven throws a party is when one lost sinner comes home. So at the climax of the cross of Jesus hanging and saying, not my will, but thy will be done, God said it just was. Heaven's throwing a party. It's what I can this. I'm reminding you of what you came to do. And in his moments of being beaten and bloodied, to where one account says he had carried it so far, he has beat down so much, that Simon, the Cyrene, had to carry it for him. But in that moment of everything, everything in Jesus, wanting to pull towards selfishness, he still was doing what he came to do. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Mm, mm-mm. And he looked at the demons, and I want to say he broke out in another one back to dust. But anyway, he didn't do that, all right? So... They all going to bite the dust one day, amen? All them demons of hell that come against us. Oh, that main enemy that fires those fiery darts. He's going to roast forever, and there's no hope for him. No hope for him. So we see in the same authority on Jesus on the night of his arrest when he asked his opposer. Now, we're talking about the authority. We're talking about the Son of God. We're talking about the rejected cornerstone who's the chief. Just because he's rejected doesn't mean it limits who he is in his authority and his power. Just because you choose not to receive him or to live your life a different way than God's plan doesn't mean that he's lost authority or that, or that his plan has lost authority. And it doesn't mean that we won't give an account because we haven't followed his ways and that people will have to give an account because he's a just God. But on the night of his arrest, when they came in to get him in the garden, the same night that Peter drew his sword on him, and he asked them, if you remember this, he said, whom is it that you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, look at this. I am he. And they all fell to the ground. Why is that so powerful? Because in six days he spoke what we see that declares his glory with his mouth. That's authority. That's authority. I am he. He didn't have to draw a sword. He didn't have to get angry. He wasn't selfish. He wasn't bitter. He wasn't frustrated. He was just truth. The truth shall set you, the truth will set you down. But if you'll respond once it sets you down in the right way, it'll set you free. Amen. But these Israelites, that's what he said in his parable. They didn't respond appropriately because they got back up. And in this parable, they killed the son and didn't even give him a burial in this, in this parable. They just threw him out. You say, well, at least Jesus had a barrel. He wouldn't if it had been up to them Jewish uh, leaders. If it hadn't been for Josephus and Nicodemus that had been changed by this man named Jesus, he wouldn't even have a burial. 
You know what that says to me? God's going to take care of his boy. Amen? He may have to go through the pain, but God's going to honor his son. God's going, and in the way God does it, God's always touching somebody else when he's honoring his son. God's touched the life of somebody that used to think, that used to have the same heart as these Jewish leaders. The same sinful heart, just like you and I did. God changes their heart, they meet Jesus, and then they show honor to Jesus. Mary does it by washing his feet, and we'll talk about that more, where Judas rejected him. So Jesus was rejected by his own. He was rejected by others. Now here's what this parable is leading to. Don't miss this. And here's what he wanted these Israelite leaders to know. To reject the son is to reject the owner. To reject the father is to reject the son. Do you think that message doesn't need to be preached today? Follow me on this. The religion of the Pharisees still continues on. It just continues on through a cultic religion that try to look nice and flashy and pretty, like the Jehovah's Witness, Mormonism, and Islam. You say, is that really what's going on? That's exactly what's going on. Because those same people in same groups, they may not reject the Father, but they do reject the Son. The Pharisees weren't rejecting God the Father. They were rejecting Jesus the Son in the flesh, who was God, saying he was the Son of God, that he was the way to heaven. Even after his resurrection, denying it in pride, the Sadducees. So we got the same thing today. Those guys in the little khaki pants that knock on your doors, that want to make it sound like they're all about Jesus, and that they know, they, they know the gospel, and you need their book, not this book, because their book will set this book straight. You better run. Actually, you don't have to run. You're in your house, all right? You can, you can have them run. You say, well, how do I be like Jesus and make them run? You just quote John 1-1 to them, saying the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Do y'all believe that? Do you believe Jesus is not only the Son of God, but He is God? And if they say, oh, oh, yeah, we do, they a rookie. <laughs> They're a rookie. They ain't been in training long. I guarantee you that. You go out there and get on their bike. It'll be the hardest one to pedal. I'll promise you that, all right? Thanks for that. And the same thing goes on today. To reject the owner, to reject God the Father, is to reject the Son. That's the message we're trying to get to those who have been taught Islam in our adopted, unreached, engaged people group, that Jesus is the stone. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You cannot get to God the Father except through him. Muhammad is not the greater because prophet. Because he's the latter prophet. Muhammad didn't die for your sins. Muhammad's bones are still in a grave, but the son of God, there is no bones in his grave. And his grave was borrowed anyway because he knew he wasn't going to need it but for three days. Fourth response, God responds to the leaders of Israel. Look at verse 9. Verse 9, as you're working through this parable, he says, What will the owner do? <laughs> what will the owner of the vineyard do? What will God do? He will come. He will come in righteousness. He will come in justice. I know it doesn't say that, but this is what he's doing. Because it's who God is, his character. He will destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scripture? The stone, here it is, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. What will the owner do? Matthew says it like this in chapter 21, verse 41. He says, 
here's the response of God to what the owner would do. He says, and the people in Matthew chapter 21, the people that Jesus is telling this parable to, they speak this out of their own mouth. So the ones that are drawn in, that are following, and God is changing their heart, and they don't have as much pride as the Jewish leaders do, they're sitting there, and they're giving Jesus the answers that Jesus is really wanting to hear from them to show him that God is at work among the crowd. That God's about to change somebody in the crowd. That these leaders, as much as God's wanting to change them, they're about to get madder because somebody's going to choose to follow Jesus. Matthew 21, 41 says, Bring those wretches to a wretched end. Rent it out to others. And the crowd gave the answer out of their own mouth. And said, somebody needs to bring those, those mean, violent vine dressers to give an account. <laughs> now think about that. By this time... There are those in the crowd that are getting it, and the Spirit of God is changing their heart. There are others who are the leaders going, he's calling us. He's calling us to vine dress. Begin to register with him. I'm telling you, this is exactly what happened in this passage. They're, they're enraged. They're, in, their, in their hearts and their minds, they're finding a uniform alignment, just like a uniform alignment against the prophets of God. And in their mind, they're going, let's kill him right, let's kill him right now. But they couldn't. <laughs> they couldn't for two reasons. You know why? Number one, it wasn't God's time. Nothing going to happen to you unless it's God's time. Could I get a witness? That's security. Amen. That's why I sleep real good at night. That's why I jump out of airplanes, all right, and, and do crazy stuff. That's why I canoe in the middle of lightning storms. And laying in the middle of the river, thinking lightning is about to pop you out, you know. And I'm like, I don't do it on purpose, but if it comes up, you know what I'm saying? I just kind of laugh and go, okay, God's sovereign. <laughs> you got your work cut out here, God, but you're sovereign. Think I could die. But, but, but God's got it. God's got it. God, God had the Son. And basically, that's the sovereignty of God. That's a sovereignty that no weapon, no weapon formed against you can prosper. No weapon when you've built your life on the cornerstone. That God's going to take care of it. And so they couldn't that day. It wasn't. The leaders couldn't do anything about it. And the second reason working into the plan of God's sovereign plan was is they were in fear themselves because they saw the other people, the lights coming on. They saw them engaging a little closer. You should see it when we go to West Africa. We've seen the enemy work through people over there when we're sharing the gospel, and you can see them kind of reeling in and getting engaged to it, and the truth about to set some of them free or get real close. You'll see we, we had a demon-possessed man come by on a bicycle out of nowhere, and he began to rebuke. As one of our guys was sharing the gospel with the elders in the city, this demon-possessed man came by, and he began to, he began to speak against that truth out of nowhere. Out of note, this man didn't even, he didn't even know what was being said, but the enemy did. And he come by and he began to do that. And in, 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 the, na- in the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus, I rebuked that, by, I rebuked that guy on that bicycle. I said, you need to get on out of here, Satan. You have no authority. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. you never seen a black West African guy ride a bicycle out there so fast. I'm telling you, it was amazing. Now, I'm telling you, that happened. That happened. And the enemy will come against the truth of God, but they couldn't do it. Because it wasn't God's time and they saw, they saw God at work. So here's what God will do. He will give the task of introducing his son, and this is what he did do, and proclaiming the gospel to John the Baptist and the apostles. So here's what you see. These Jewish leaders could have been the apostles and John the Baptist and fulfilled the same role back here in the Old Testament, but they didn't want God's plan. They rejected it, rejected it, rejected it, and God said, I'll, I'll have a spokesperson. 
I will always have a spokesperson to tell everybody my plan. And he still does today, amen? And the enemy still comes against God's spokesperson, against God's people, against the church. But he says he'll give it to others. Matthew 21, 43 says it means he will give it to other leaders, which are the apostles. Therefore, I tell you, here's what it says in Matthew 21, 43. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Remember what the owner sent the first servant to go get him was fruit from his vineyard. Now think about that. God, the owner, is all in the business of fruit producing. And when we look at us as individuals, the vineyard, whether it be the Jewish vineyard or whether it be the Gentile vineyard, God is still looking for fruit. So like when I look out over this audience, if somebody were to say, what about this guy? What about Charlie Richardson? Pastor, you think old Charlie's saved? What about him? You think old Charlie's saved? What about Jim McCullough? You think he's really saved? What about him? You think he's really saved? What about old Becca Benton, Pastor? You think she's really saved? I don't know. She hit a softball. Throw some grace here. All right, man. But, uh, well, and some people go, well, well, well I, I'm not the judge. Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. Get that plank out of your own eye. That's right. He said, get that plank out of your own eye before you start judging somebody else. But he does say, hold each other accountable. Confess your sins one to another. And disciple one another. The reason the enemy works so hard against this particular church and this vision is because we actually want to disciple people and take you deeper to where Jesus wants to take you. We don't want to just be fluff and be all bells and whistles and entertainment and and, 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 and entertain you and, and greet you and make you think that the only thing you got to do during the week is just show up and everything be done for you and you never serve the Lord. No, we want to deny, help, help, help us all deny ourselves, take up the cross and follow, follow Jesus daily. So, so, so the heartbeat is, well, how do you answer that, Pastor? I can tell you one thing. I can tell you one thing. I know that guy. I know, I know, I know Jim McCullough. I've seen fruit in his life. I know, I know, I, I've seen fruit in his life. Now i got to remember who else I called on first. They'll think I'm telling them that they're lost. Who was it? Let's see. Who did I call on first over here? Y'all help me out. Who? Charlie. Charlie went out of here and never come back to here. Pastor just called me lost in front of everybody. <laughs> I, started th- I thought I'd start over here first. I was going to work my way across. I said, Charlie, I don't know Charlie. I know Charlie had a few talk or had a talk at the barn, a few conversations at the barn. I know Charlie. Them, them girls over there, them Ben girls, yeah. See, the owner is looking for fruit. So before, before you take your last breath, make sure there's some fruit in your life. I didn't say religion in your life. I didn't say church attendance in your life, watching everybody else do the work of the kingdom. I said make sure there's some fruit. You know the best thing every one of us could go home and ask our family and those closest to you today, ask them this question. What fruit do you see in my life that I'm a child of God? What, What fruit, what producing fruit do you see in my life that I am a child of God? be a great question because the owner that's what he's looking for god is looking for is there fruit in your life faith without works is what let's say it louder faith without works is 
dead. Faith without works is dead. Nowhere in just temple attendance was it considered fruitfulness or working for God. In and of itself alone, it was serving God. It was, it was going from denying when you thought you wouldn't to dying upside down for him. Fifth and final response we see in this passage is God's response to sin. I'm glad he's always got a plan. Verse 10, have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. All the way back to the garden, man rejected God's wonderful, beautiful plan and disobeyed. And God says, I love them. I've got a plan. I'm going to pursue them. I'm going to pursue them even to the point of death. Death for them. I'm going to pursue them even if it kills them, knowing that it would. That's love. That, that is love. The ocean's dry. This was the Lord's doing. It was the way God, look at there. It was the Lord's doing, verse 11. <laughs> it was God's plan. It was God at work. It was God's cure to man's problem, which is sin, God's response to sin. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous. It is marvelous. What's so marvelous about it? What's marvelous about it is, is I should have been the one to die on that rugged cross. Jesus never sinned. You should have been the one to die on that cross. When we look at the cross, I'm going to challenge you. When we look at the cross, I pray you'll see yourself, not just Jesus. I pray you'll see yourself, not just Jesus. And then you'll go, that's marvelous. Ah, that's marvelous that God loved me that much. There's no other man in here that loves you that much. There's no other man. There's no other man in here right now that would let us take his boy, put him up here, nail him to a cross, beat him, ridicule him, mock him, and love you that much. I love you, but I don't love you that much. And it'd take a bunch of you to put my boy on that cross. He's getting big and eating a lot of Wheaties, you know. But... But literally speaking, there's no other man loves you that way. But God, Romans 5, 8, demonstrated his love toward us, and while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And they were seeking, verse 12, final text as the band moves in place, they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told, here it is, he had told the parable against them, so they left him. <laughs> they didn't want to. They left him, and they went away. But remember, everything's building, everything's building, and in their mind, they're thinking, we're going to get him. Oh, we're going to get him. And they're devising a plan, thinking they're in control. <laughs> the enemy's so stupid. Satan's so stupid. I say that through the blood of Jesus, knowing he's going to hound me this week, so y'all pray for me. But he's so stupid that, that he gets even a little bit caught up in it. I believe that he gets a little caught up in it, thinking maybe, we, maybe we've got him. Maybe we've got him. Maybe we can stop him. If we're ever going to stop him, now's the time. No, you can't stop him. So these leaders wanted to seize him right then and there and kill him, but they could not fear the multitude who had heard his words. So Jesus' claims to being God's beloved uh, son were becoming increasingly clear to everyone that would follow and listen to him. you got to remember, they've been seeing these miracles. They've been seeing him feed 15,000 people approximately on two different occasions. They've been seeing him heal the leper. 
they remember a woman who walked into town who was a harlot. Been married five times and the man she was with was not even her husband. But yet this woman, he changed. And they're hanging on the edge of their seat in this kind of response like some of you. Well, you just don't know what all I've done, Pastor. I don't know that he can save me. Well, 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 you just, I, I, I just, I just don't know if, if I can live for him. You can't help but live for him if you'll just give your life to him. He'll change you. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect, but I'm saying you'll have the Holy Spirit in you to remind you to hold on. So when Peter reminded the Jewish leaders of this truth after the death, burial, and resurrection, and as we bow our head, close our eyes in time and response, this is the gospel that mine and your neighbors who are sitting at home need to hear this month. It's the gospel that some of you in here need to hear. It's the gospel that's going to lead you to salvation, not your church attendance, not your giving. It's the gospel. So Peter in Acts 4, 8 through 12, he preached to these same Jewish leaders, quoted Psalm 118, 22, to show that Jesus is the rejected stone whom God made the cornerstone of salvation. They, the Jewish leaders, rejected him. Peter told them that you crucified him. You rejected him, but God not only accepted him, but put him in the position of highest honor, even to the throne of God. And then Peter makes it clear that no man will make it to the throne of God. No man will make it to heaven because salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given by which men must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ, Acts 4.12. These words are utterly exclusive. There is no other hope, no other way. I know some of you searching in here. I know the devil's been against you. I know you think it's going to come through another relationship, another lady, another man, another substance. It's not. Hope's not coming from any of those things. Because there's no other name than the name, than the name of Jesus whereby men might be saved. We must come to God's way or we won't come at all. So don't be like the builders who rejected God's stone of salvation. Do not reject Jesus Christ. Do not stumble over the rejected stone. They stumbled over it. Because the very stone the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. You want direction in your life? You want joy in your life? You want true peace in your life? Then let God open your eyes today to see who Jesus really is as the cornerstone of eternal salvation because let me tell you this same stone who ascended into heaven who sent the Holy Spirit he's still got a plan and his plan is nearing completion because after God removes the church from the earth 1 Thessalonians 4 13 through 18 we sang about it in that last song David blows that trumpet the stone's going to return to earth According to Daniel chapter 2, 34, 35, Revelation 19, 11 through 16, and Israel will accept him. Zechariah 12, 10. Then he will complete Israel, Isaiah 59, 20, and Israel will, during the millennium, function as a temple that God intended for her to always be, Daniel 7, 22. He will then bring blessing to the whole earth through Israel. So Jesus is either a cornerstone to you or he is a crushing stone. If he's a crushing stone, why not turn to him today? 
and allow him to be your cornerstone. Every man, every woman, every young boy, every young girl, every teenager in the room, right now I want to ask you to block everything out around you. And I'm going to ask you one question. Where's the proof? Where's the proof? Where's the proof in your life that you're a child of God? Where's the proof? Where's the proof? If you can't answer that question, then I would ask right now, God, show me this. Because can I tell you the greatest proof in my life that I could say, that I know, 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 is that God lives inside of me. The Holy Spirit lives inside of me. There is no way I could do or keep doing what, what God's called me to do. And, and, and fighting off those fiery darts. And fighting everything that comes with it. The Holy Spirit has been good to me. He's guided me when I was going down roads I shouldn't be going down. He's got, where's the fruit? Notice I didn't say, well, I've always went to church. I, I, I've always went and watched everybody else serve God, not me. I've always watched everybody else use their spiritual gift, but never used mine. My next door neighbor doesn't know that I'm a Christian. I, I hope that I hope that's not you. I hope you can go. There's some fruit. I'm not trying to brag, but you know there is fruit, and and and, and I have to look at myself and go, yeah, and there needs to be more. Holy Spirit, convict me, lead me to those truths. So wherever you're at, if you sense right here in this moment, in this moment, that if God the owner, and he is, looked at you, and he sent his servant or his son and said, go get some fruit, would there be any fruit? Have you rejected him or have you accepted him? He didn't complicate it. So if you're here right now, and I want to speak first to that person who possibly possibly if someone asked you when you died where you'd spend eternity or if someone asked you if you were a Christian the first thing you would say is I've always gone to church I'm speaking to you or to that person who would say well to that person who said well when, when did you become a believer and follower of Christ well I've always been a believer of Christ I was born that way no you were not you were born a sinner there has to be a time that you're born again spiritually speaking where God transforms you and changes so I'm going to speak first to that person probably that's going to be the person who's been going to church 20, 30, 40, 50 years going through the motions but never serving God never bearing any fruit that's bound in religion just like the Pharisees just like the Sadducees and, and in fact that person right now might be getting a little ill like these Jewish leaders were Because who they really are is being tested. I beg you in Jesus. I'm not trying to make you ill, but I'm trying to give you the truth that you better not hang your hat, you better not bank your eternal destiny on anything you bring to the table. Because it's your true faith that leads you to works, not your works that lead you to faith. Religion teaches that. Relationship teaches because I have been changed. I have a desire in me in the Holy Spirit to serve Him. 
even though I'm not perfect. The Holy Spirit guides me, convicts me. And then that person who walked in here who said, man, a lot of this is new to me. I didn't understand half of what you understood, uh, what you said, but I do understand this. There's somebody knocking on my heart's door that tells me they love me more than anybody. That said, when you said I should have died on that cross, I thought about that and something inside of me said I should have. Something inside of me says I know I've sinned. And something inside of me says I'm tired of trying other ways. I want to try Jesus. Regardless if you're in the first case or the second case, in Jesus' name, I'm going to urge you to pray this right here because it will lead you straight to Jesus. Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that God is who he said he was, that he sent his son to die, and that three days later he resurrected, you can be saved. So if, if, if that's what the Spirit's leading you to do, don't reject him. I urge you, beg you, don't reject him. Tell him right there in your heart. Let's just say it together. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, just say it right there in your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. And Lord Jesus, I need you. And I confess all my sin. And I know you're great enough to forgive me. And I ask you for your precious forgiveness. And I know that your blood has cleansed me from all my sin. And I invite you into my heart at the response of you drawing through the Holy Spirit all my life to be my Savior and my Lord. And I will live for you, Lord Jesus, with the help of the Holy Spirit the rest of the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Can we give God glory for those who may have prayed that, amen? Amen, church? That's what it's about.